Long History The Southern United States in the 1500s Part 2 A Cuban Trek Hello everyone, I hope things are well and welcome to episode 2 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. This text describes an expedition in the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly United States, from Florida to Texas, up to Arkansas, North Carolina and most of the states in between. The expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto, beginning in April 1538. This narrative in the meantime was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvas. This is episode 2 of a 25-part series, so don't forget to subscribe to be notified of other episodes when they're released. After the preamble and the introduction of the previous episode, in this episode Hernando de Soto and his fleet finally set off. First they head to an island called La Gomera in the Canary Islands, and then they cross the Atlantic and go to Cuba. Here we get a glimpse of Cuba in 1538, 46 years after the Castilians with Columbus first set eyes on her. We see the members of the fleet exploring and spreading out across some of the towns that the Spanish have created and taken over on the island. So here we go with part 2 of the southern United States in the 1500s, a Cuban trek. Chapter 4 How the Adelantado with his people left Spain, going to the Canary Islands and afterwards arrived in the Antillas. In the month of April of the year 1538 of the Christian era, the Adelantado delivered the vessels to their several captains, took for himself a new ship, fast of sail, and gave another to André de Vasconcelos, in which the Portuguese were to go. He passed over the bar of San Lucar on Sunday, the morning of St. Lazarus, with great festivity, commanding the trumpets to be sounded and many charges of artillery to be fired. With a favourable wind he sailed four days, when it lulled, the calms continuing for eight days, with such rolling sea that the ships made no headway. The fifteenth day after our departure, we came to Gomera, one of the Canaries, on Easter Sunday in the morning. The governor of the island was apparelled all in white, cloak, jerkin, hose, shoes and cap, so that he looked like a governor of gypsies. He received the Adelantado with much pleasure, lodging him well and the rest with him gratuitously. To Doña Isabel he gave a natural daughter of his to be her waiting maid. For our money we got abundant provision of bread, wine and meats, bringing off with us what was needful for the ships. Sunday following, eight days after arrival, we took our departure. On Pentecost we came into the harbour of the city of Santiago, in Cuba of the Antillas. Directly a gentleman of the town sent to the seaside a splendid roan horse, well caparisoned, for the governor to mount and a mule for his wife. And all the horsemen and footmen in town, at the time, came out to receive him at the landing. He was well lodged, attentively visited and served by all the citizens. Quarters were furnished to everyone without cost. Those who wished to go into the country were divided among the farmhouses into squads of four and six persons, according to the several ability of the owners who provided them with food. Chapter 5 of the inhabitants there are in the city of Santiago and other towns of the island, the character of the soil and of the fruit. The city of Santiago consists of about 80 spacious and well-contrived dwellings. Some are built of stone and lime, covered with tiles. The greater part have the sides of board and the roofs of dried grass. There are extensive country seats, and on them many trees which differ from those of Spain. The fig tree bears fruit as big as the fist, yellow within and of little flavour. Another tree with a delicious fruit called anana is of the shape and size of a small pineapple, 
The skin of which being taken off, the pulp appears like a piece of curd. On the farms about in the country are other larger pines of very agreeable and high flavour, produced on low trees that look like the aloe. Another tree yields a fruit called mame, the size of a peach, by the islanders more esteemed than any other in the country. The guayaba is in the form of a filbert and is the size of a fig. There is a tree which is a stalk without any branch, the height of a lance, each leaf the length of a javelin, the fruit of the size and form of a cucumber, the bunch having twenty or thirty of them, with which the tree goes on bending down more and more as they grow. They are called plantanos in that country, and are of good flavour, and will ripen after they are gathered, although they are better when they mature on the tree. The stalks yield fruit but once, when they are cut down, and others, which spring up at the butt, bear in the coming year. There is another fruit called batata, the subsistence of a multitude of people, principally slaves, and now grows in the island of Terceira, belonging to this kingdom of Portugal. It is produced in the earth and looks like the nyame, with nearly the taste of chestnut. The bread of the country is made from a root that looks like the batata, the stalk of which is like alder. The ground for planting is prepared in hillocks, into each are laid four or five stalks, and a year and a half after they have been set, the crop is fit to be dug. Should anyone, mistaking the root for batata, eat any of it, he is in imminent danger, as experience has shown in the case of a soldier who died instantly from swallowing very little. The roots, being peeled and crushed, they are squeezed in a sort of press. The juice that flows has an offensive smell. The bread is of little taste and less nourishment. The fruit from Spain are figs and oranges, which are produced the year round, the soil being very rich and fertile. There are numerous cattle and horses in the country, which find fresh grass at all seasons. From the many wild cows and hogs, the inhabitants everywhere are abundantly supplied with meat. Out of the towns are many fruits wild over the country, and, as it sometimes happens, when a Christian misses his way and is lost for fifteen or twenty days, because of the many paths through the thick woods made by the herds traversing to and fro, he will live on fruit and wild cabbage there being many and large palm trees everywhere which yield nothing else available beside. The island of Cuba is 300 leagues long from east to southeast, and in places 30, in others 40 leagues from north to south. There are six towns of Christians, which are Santiago, Paracoa, Payamo, Puerto Principe, Sancti Spiritus and Havana. They each have between 30 and 40 householders, except Santiago and Havana, which have some seventy or eighty dwellings apiece. The towns have all a chaplain to hear confession and a church in which to say mass. In Santiago is a monastery of the order of St Francis. It has few friars, though well supported by tithes, as the country is rich. The church of Santiago is endowed, has a cura, a prebend and many priests, as it is the church of the city which is the metropolis. Although the earth contains much gold, there are few slaves to seek it, many having destroyed themselves because of the hard usage they received from the Christians in the mines. The overseer of Vasco Porcayo, a resident of the island, having understood that his slaves intended to hang themselves, went with a cudgel in his hand and waited for them in the place at which they were to meet, where he told them that they could do nothing nor think of anything that he did not know beforehand, that he had come to hang himself with them, to the end that if he gave them a bad life in this world, a worse he would give them in that to come. This caused them to alter their purpose and return to obedience. Chapter 6. 
how the governor sent Doña Isabel with the ships from Santiago de Havana, while he, with some of the men, went thither by land. The governor sent Don Carlos with the ships, in company with Doña Isabel, to tarry for him at Havana, a port in the eastern end of the island, 180 leagues from Santiago. He and those that remained, having brought horses, set out on their journey, and at the end of 25 leagues came to Bayamo, the first town. They were lodged as they arrived in parties of four and six, where their food was given to them, and nothing was paid for any other thing than maize for the beasts. Because the governor at each town assessed tax on the tribute paid and the labour done by the Indians. A deep river runs near Bayamo, lodged in the Guadiana called Tanto. The monstrous alligators do harm in it sometimes to the Indians and animals in the crossing. In all the country there are no wolves, foxes, bears, lions nor tigers. There are dogs in the woods which have run wild from the houses that feed upon the swine. There are snakes the size of a man's thigh and even bigger, but they are very sluggish and do no kind of injury. From that town to Puerto Principe there are fifty leagues. The roads throughout the island are made by cutting out the undergrowth, which if neglected to be gone over, though only for a single year the shrubs spring up in such manner that the ways disappear and so numerous likewise are the paths made by cattle, that no one can travel without an Indian of the country for a guide, there being everywhere high and thick woods. From Puerto Principe, the governor went by sea in a canoe to the estate of Vasco Porcayo, near the coast, to get news of Doña Isabel, who, at the time, although not then known, was in a situation of distress, the ships having parted company, two of them being driven in sight of the coast of Florida, and all on board were suffering for lack of water and subsistence. The storm over, and the vessels come together, not knowing where they had been tossed, Cape San Antonio was described, an uninhabited part of the island, where they got water, and at the end of forty days from the time of leaving Santiago, they arrived at Havana. The governor presently received the news and hastened to meet Doña Isabel. The troops that went by land, one hundred and fifty mounted men in number, not to be burdensome upon the islanders, were divided into two squadrons and marched into Santi Spiritus, sixty leagues from Puerto Principe. The victuals they carried was the cassabi bread I have spoken of, the nature of which is such that it directly dissolved from moisture. Whence it happened that some made meat and no bread for many days. They took dogs with them, and a man of the country who hunted as they journeyed, and who killed the hogs at night, found further necessary for provision where they stopped so that they had abundant supply, both of beef and pork. They found immense annoyance from mosquitoes, particularly in a lake called Bog of Pier, which they had much ado in crossing between midday and dark, it being more than half a league over, full half a bowshot of the distance swimming, and all the rest of the way the water waist-deep, having clams on the bottom that sorely cut the feet, for not a boot nor shoe-sole was left entire at half-way. The clothing and saddles were floated over in baskets of palm leaf. In this time the insects came in great numbers and settled on the person were exposed, their bite raising lumps that smarted keenly, a single blow with the hand sufficient to kill so many that the blood would run over the arms and body. There was little rest at night, as happened also afterwards at like seasons and places. They came to Santi Spiritus, a town of thirty houses near which passes a little river, the grounds are very fertile and pleasant, abundant in good oranges, citrons and native fruit. Here one half the people were lodged. 
The other half went on 25 leagues farther, to a town of 15 or 20 householders called Trinidad. There is a hospital for the poor, the only one on the island. They say the town was once the largest of any, and that before the Christians came into the country, a ship sailing along the coast had in her a very sick man who begged to be set on shore, which the captain directly ordered and the vessel kept on her way. The inhabitants, finding him where he had been left, on that shore which had never been hunted up by Christians, carried him home and took care of him until he was well. The chief of the town gave him a daughter, and being at war with the country round about, through the prowess and exertion of the Christian, he subdued and reduced to his control all the people of Cuba. A long time after, when Diego Velázquez went to conquer the island, whence he made the discovery of New Spain, this man, then among the natives, brought them by his management to obedience and put them under the rule of that governor. From Trinidad they travelled a distance of 80 leagues without a town, and arrived at Havana in the end of March. They found the governor there, and the rest of the people who had come with him from Spain. He sent Juan de Añasco in a caravel, with two pinnaces and fifty men to explore the harbour in Florida, who brought back two Indians taken on the coast. In consequence, as much because of the necessity of having them for guides and interpreters as because they said by signs that there was much gold in Florida, the governor and all the company were greatly rejoiced and longed for the hour of departure, that land appearing to them to be the richest of any which had until then been discovered. There are many stories here, of slaves attempting and failing to flee their misery, some background into how Cuba was taken by the Spanish, and a journey through the six towns of Christians on Cuba in those days. We hear some anecdotes about the time the Spanish and Portuguese men spent on the island before their trip to the US mainland. They are raring to go and discover this rich land full of gold. In the next episode, Hernando de Soto makes it to Florida, immediately finding and settling an abandoned local village. There is a sudden surprise, linking de Soto's expedition to the one undertaken by Pamphilo de Narvaez documented by Cabeza de Vaca in the account already released on long history as Florida, Texas and northern Mexico in the 1500s. That's it for this episode however, so thank you for listening. As you've made it this far, please don't forget to drop it a like. This particular document has been split into some 25 episodes, each around 10 minutes long, so please subscribe to listen to some of the first details ever written by Europeans about places such as Arkansas, North and South Carolina and most of today's southeastern United States. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 2, A Cuban Trek.